We are live in Austin, Texas at the Permanent Records Studios. It's the 525 Records Podcast. My guest today, Austin comedian Philip Garcia. Thanks for waking up early. No man. problem, Elliot. Great to meet you, man. It was great meeting you at Vulcan the other day. Yeah. And thanks for having me here. I think so. I, I pissed off uh, a lot of people. <laughs> Who do you like, staff or what? No, no. I uh, ran into William Montgomery upstairs, uh-huh. and I was I was a little drunk. I'm not going right. to lie. And, uh, you know, I'm like talking to him, complimenting him. And then Erica comes over and she's like, I'm Erica. And I'm like, why do you never go on camera? <laughs> and then it was like, let's go, William. Get rid of this a-hole. Oh, okay. It was, I don't know, it was, it was pretty funny. But speaking of funny, dude, you are a funny motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Um, you are so quick on your podcast, man. You're, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. You're so likable. And I feel like you were born to host a show. Like that is your calling. A lot of people tell me that I, I'm going to be a dad on a sitcom one day. That is my true calling. Oh well. So I think you could do either one. <laughs> yeah, I think if I think they're pretty much the same glove, though. <laughs> like it's a. I don't know. Imagine like a morning baseball radio broadcaster. I feel like that's who my inner dialogue is all the time. Yeah, radio show <laughs> yeah. for sure. It's like it's me at a fucking night sh- like like a night show. I'm basically my mind is Stephen Colbert. No, that's not a good that's not a good comparison. I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore. It's <laughs> just so your sorry. your show, which is by the way, it's called With Philip Garcia. Yeah, the With Philip Garcia show. It's awesome and uh, it's never boring. Yeah, you really enjoy it. Oh, for sure, dude. And it's, you know, here's the thing. Okay, I'm sorry, but uh, no, the it, it's um not only are you never boring, but you are it's you're not inventing a character. You're not like it's there's no gimmick. It's right. just you being real and honest and and quick on the jump. You know, with whoever you're talking to, like yeah. you did a podcast podcast with casey rocket recently yeah it's doing really well it's like the best podcast i think that like viewership wise that's the best one i've had because I, I don't know what happened i mean between me and casey's fanship i guess it kind of did well but uh yeah it just it just took off and a lot of people i think you comp or was it you that commented oh, five, sure. five records i try to watch you them said all. great content but someone else said y'all have great chemistry on a podcast I, that was me yeah yeah uh, <laughs> that was you okay yeah you guys together man i like, would be it's awesome and i meet so many people that i have that great banter with um you, tons of comics especially like good ones <laughs> you get to know and you're like yeah we can have a, we can have a great conversation anywhere for sure but at the same time you see so many comics start podcasts together and it just doesn't work like with Phil Garcia is something that I ideally would like to keep growing as my own individual project. I'm open to like, I'm about to start another podcast with uh, my roommate. I just want to be better at it in general, podcasting. But uh, I mean, I'm starting to, I'm, I have a disc golf thing in the works right now. Oh, really? Yeah, it's such a niche market. I'm going to try to tap into it. Uh-huh. Uh, but I mean, that like you were saying about how I've never done a character unless I've strictly done a character and said I was going to do one. Yeah, I try to just do what I like to do. For sure. That way I like doing it. <laughs> you uh, I mean, you're good at podcasting. Your audio is so smooth and you you you're making so much content on such a regular basis, mm-hmm. so consistently. It would be a full-time job filming, editing, um, dumping audio and you know, you recently invested in a green screen. I couldn't help but notice. Right. Which well, is, that's my roommates. I I yeah, they, it's um yeah. I've uh, it's like the little things. So like the podcast has had no one home. So it's almost like it's nonstop change. Like if it's not a background screen screen, like I said earlier, it's like the car moving in the background, which my family hates. Like we don't want like texting and driving is a terrible thing, but podcasting and driving, like you got cans on, 
you got the mic in your face, you got one arm on the steering wheel, and I'm going 80 miles an hour down 35 usually. Yeah, and you're yeah. your own producer. You you gotta right. you gotta ride faders. You gotta check levels and be funny and entertaining. Yeah, and drive a car. You're making it sound more like a crime. Um, speaking of cars, I was going through some of your old videos, uh, the hyenas videos. Yeah, and uh, you had an Amber Alert joke. Oh yeah, that, that was one of your solid. Yeah, early bits. Um, I always use that joke when someone asks me about my writing process. Ever, that's the one I use in terms of um, how material comes to me most naturally. Yeah, and uh, the story of that bit is just uh, the joke is I've never. Well, the premise is I've never seen an Amber Alert with a car newer than two thousand and ten on it. Right, and uh, which is something my brother's girlfriend said over drinks at her, their kitchen table one night, basically. Like, we were all just chatting, and she we all got an Amber Alert. She said that. I don't think I've ever got an Amber Alert with a car newer than 2010 on it. And it's true. Yeah, and we just uh, paved over it. Like, we were all like, oh, that's funny. I was like, wait, what did you just say? And I was like, because it was such a like monumental truth. That's what comedy basically is, is something undeniably truth, like truthful that no one wants to really come to grips with. It's hard to make an Amber Alert joke. If right. you sat down and say, oh, make an Amber Alert joke. Right. I mean, what do you... You're going to hack it out eventually. It, rem <laughs> it reminds me of the, there's a William F. Montgomery uh, mm -hmm. Amber Alert joke where he's like, you know, somebody can figure out... Marketing through ads. Amber Alerts. Yeah, dude. But you know what, what bugs me? <laughs> there's never any resolution, you know? Like everybody gets the Amber Alert and uh, 2003 Kia Sorento. Right. Know, look around. I don't see one of those. Oh, well, you know, right. but they should have to text you three days later to be to like, like, we found it. Yeah, it, it all worked out okay. <laughs> it's actually a great tag, man. You don't have to worry. <laughs> Yeah, but, no, that that's a great. I might, I might actually. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but uh, you don't do comedy, do you, Elliot? No, no. Yeah, I might take that. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> it just adds a whole other leg to the bit, basically. If you take that direction afterwards, there's an incredible amount of power in those Amber Alerts. You know, think about War of the Worlds, right? In right. the 30s or whenever they did it, a bunch of people died. Like they were freaking out in the streets. You know, the, the government has this awesome power to just text everybody instantaneously right it, i mean imagine the power with that like if, if some if you if they were to act maliciously <laughs> mm -hmm. and everybody's uh, you know at the club ding, 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 uh, do you think a man or a woman is in charge of that system i think it's a big mystery who knows you think it is uh, could you, you imagine if it was like a a woman and her like she caught her husband cheating or something like that because i couldn't see a man using his job to be petty maybe maybe but i could just see a really like like just a really angry woman catch her husband cheating and be like just you know what i'm gonna text the whole country that you're a piece of shit jerry <laughs> instantly yeah i mean i don't know if you remember the hawaii <laughs> missile thing right it was a yeah. fake alert yeah i mean think about a war of the world scenario where everybody on the f i mean you could create mass chaos mm -hmm. instantaneously with that kind of power but i f i forgot all about that that they basically terrified an entire state of people yeah because you, like you're all at the restaurant or mm -hmm. wherever club. Did anyone die because of that? I mean, it war of the world scenario. You could, but uh, I just think it's incredible that they have that much reach. They right. all the cell phone carriers. They're like you know, right? With war of the worlds, uh, did anyone kill themselves? Is that what like the deaths were? Because people were just terrified. Or? I think it'd be like somebody got hit by a car and oh you know, wow, just people were just losing freaking their minds. Out. Yeah. yeah, what a time! Like what a to think that our collective psyche as a, like a, a population is so much more developed now that if you heard something like that, like you, you saw that new movie, don't look up. Oh, I did. We yeah. would negate the hell out of an alien t attack. And I was like, Oh, you know, you'd yeah. all just be going about our days compared back then. It's like mass media was so new 
that it was everything that you heard through a radio wave. Like they knew it wasn't being wasted. Right. <laughs> so they were just yeah. like taking everything. So see, that's scary to think about. Precious airtime. Yeah. Now it's just, I mean, I think it's like one in a hundred people have a podcast in America is the actual statistic. Oh yeah. That's just nuts. millions, right. millions of podcasts. And that this is why I'm so glad you came out so early because I have nothing to offer you. Um, <laughs> I have a little music label and right. I'm, I'm not trying to blow my channel up. I just do my thing. And, yeah, man, of course. Um, I'm really hoping for a Philip Garcia bump. Yeah. We'll, in all honesty. we'll all go up together. Cool. So. <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I've been watching you since episode one and I've uh, watching the progression, getting the subs, this, mm -hmm. this Casey rocket podcast, it really feels like a turning point. Where, you it's, know, I was looking at your view counts last night and yeah. you, you got a pop on all your other videos. From Casey's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you said turning point because I don't know what it was. Uh, I mean, technically, like Mercury just injured retrograde, but I don't know why you said they say that, but I, I really do. I felt that too. Uh, even before I recorded the episode, because I, I just, uh, the, my New Year's resolution was to take production more seriously and then get more content out. Um, and yeah, I felt I felt a shift with that episode, and then even with the one I did yesterday. I already—that's what I'm saying. Like, now I'm gonna start doing two episodes a week now because yeah. it's—I'm—I have nothing else right now. Because uh, working at Vulcan, like, it's a great—we get to watch the top acts every single night. It's phenomenal, but it's—it does cut out of your stage time if I'm not booked. But like, if I'm booked, they have no problem letting me go do shows. But it's open mic wise, like, I'm losing on that end. But podcasting regularly is the same muscle um i feel like i'm not like i'm i'm staying fresh on my feet basically without having to do open mics three times a day i was gonna say you know i went to kill tony on monday mm -hmm. a couple days ago and um you know they have a it's like a pen where yeah. the comics are forced <laughs> the cow pen yeah it's it. like you know and then here you are you're like free range comedian you're just allowed out of the pen well i, I was working oh <laughs> i, I work at vulcan as a door guy okay i thought you were yeah. off that night I no didn't... we have a we have a we don't have uniforms uh... so we just look like uh <laughs> we just look we had to kick a guy out the other night it looked like we were just jumping him <laughs> just yeah. look like a group of guys jumping a person, but I'm like, no, this guy shoved one of our door guys, and uh, we didn't we didn't hit him or anything. But you know, we had to throw him out of the bar because he got kicked out. But when we're like, you see five guys carrying a dude literally and throwing him out, you're like, and we none of us have a Vulcan logo on our back. Right. <laughs> Everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? Like black ops mercenaries. Right, right. Where are their door guys? <laughs> I just, you know, as someone that has a small channel that feels the pain of low numbers, it's, you know, yeah. there's a freedom in low viewership, which is nice. Oh, but, for sure. But, you know, the minute you start getting a little bit of an audience, 1,000 subs, 10,000 subs, now you've got all this responsibility, you right. know, and pressure. And so, there, but when you first start out, there's a little window where you're just totally blown in the wind, free, not a lot of pressure. It's, it, I, there's a freedom in that, you know. For I think. sure. Um, I'm, a, I'm enjoying it. I, but I, I'm, uh, I like to think I'm not like too much of a stupid person. I mean, I, I'm growing up and coming up in the entertainment business right now in the era, post era of the Me Too movement. So everything, I mean, the day Louis CK got canceled, I was a thinking about starting to do comedy. I had to go take a walk because I was like, he, to me, he was such a hero in my mind and like, uh, matched my, what I thought my comedic voice was at the time. But I was just like devastated. And then uh, I like, cause you know, another time I felt, you know, tides were changing. I was like, 
every decision you make now is going to be like they tell you they told us forever they said look we have our these things in our pockets and they're going to record everything you do and you're going to you know everything you do is going to be judged by the public everything even yeah. in private and that's what's basically what we do now so yeah i do enjoy the freedom of having low viewership count but i also try to think drastically into the future like rogan has that bit about how there's a four minute compilation of him saying the n-word online oh yeah i don't want to uh -huh. end up i want to keep my compilation under two minutes yeah <laughs> that's uh -huh. what i'd like it to be ultimate i don't want my my inward count to get above a four minute link could you imagine yeah <laughs> like he I mean, said that's like just... why are you keep saying it stop saying it like you're talking to yourself in the future i don't i hate hating myself more than anything and the, when you do get a little <laughs> bit of clout, you start getting haters, and right. now you're you're dealing with haters all day and trying to produce content. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a double edged sword, you know. So you gotta think of them as trolls. There's a lot of trolls, man. You can do anybody's podcast, and there's just someone that's angry, someone punching buttons somewhere that's not happy, and they're gonna. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever talked shit in YouTube comments? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know. It's, it's it's euphoric sometimes you know <laughs> you drink a little too much you, you get a little too expressive what do you know about woodstock 99 limp biscuit is the shit <laughs> that's me basically 2 a.m yeah every and night like every other text thread it just the context gets lost so you, you try you start out trying to say one thing and you read yeah. it back and it's like oh no what did i just do i kicked facebook for that reason like four or five years ago i don't even think i was out of college yet but when i kicked it i was just like i use this to let y'all know when i accomplish something now because that's what well, i got a degree in pr and advertisement and learned like you know what basically the different platforms are for and uh Facebook is that's the only thing Facebook is for it's a it's a gloat show like look at me yeah. I'm doing well today <laughs> um, I was just watching the episode with Parker last night you're talking about mm -hmm. working uh, after you got out of school and right. uh, you had you worked as a meat packer at Walmart that was point? during school okay uh, after school I worked as a uh, marketer for Berkshire Hathaway automotive at a subsidiary called Metro auto auction it's a cool place, but I used to just basically make the graphic design flyers to sell like thousands of cars every Tuesday. Right. You ever uh, see that movie, The Goods? No. Oh my God, what Jeremy Piven. Uh, I love Jeremy Piven. Yeah, he. Uh, it's a great movie. It's about used cars mm -hmm. and selling them. Uh, I'll have to check. Is it on anything right now? Uh, you know, I'm sure it's on Netflix or somewhere. I'm halfway through Snatch for the first time. I put it off for a long time. That's the one, I mean, Snatch is, I've been watching so many movies lately. Uh, it's like Irish gypsies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm from, there's like a big population of Irish gypsies. I don't know if you want to talk about this or not. It, are, are, I was going to say, <laughs> you're from Dallas? Or? Them that. I, don't, I don't even think you can call them. I think they're Irish travelers is what you're <laughs> supposed to call them. Now. I am. I'm from uh, Fort Worth. Uh, it was like right up there. Every time I say Fort Worth, they're like, oh, you're from Dallas. I'm like, no, I'm from Fort Worth. They're like two separate skylines. One airport. Right. DFW. One airport. Or there's two. There's Dallas, Lovefield, which is True. still pretty big. If you're flying southwest. Right. And that's it. <laughs> Everything else, you're just going to go to DFW. DFW is a nightmare of an airport. I mean, it it's, is uh, enormous. Bigger than Manhattan. Yeah. I read that on a Snapple lid one time. Houston's pretty bad. <laughs> Houston, uh, Bush or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. I flew out of Bush one time and I didn't like it. I lived in Houston for four. That's where I started comedy. Uh, four years ago. I did it like for a year there in the greater Houston area in Huntsville, Texas. Yeah. There's like eight federal prisons. Oh, man. 
started on a Tuesday or yeah, the last Tuesday of the month because I watched some guy bomb and I was drunk and I was just like, Hey man, you know, if you're going to talk about killing yourself for 15 minutes, you should try to make it like funny. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> this is, I gave him some tags before I even knew what tags were that you shouldn't do this to a comic unsolicited right? because I wasn't a comic yet. And his friends were like, well, if you think you're so funny, why don't you go ahead and do it? And I didn't improv for years and stuff. At that point, I was like, I'll give it a shot. I've always thought of stand-up bits in my mind. Went up, did well for five. Got booked immediately after I got off stage. Right. And I'm pretty sure that guy did kill himself. Fuck, dude. Yeah. That's intense. <laughs> right? Well, I'm, one of, that's one of my notes. I was going to ask you, what was that first open mic like? And uh, I mean, it's got to, you know, depending on where it is, it's probably it not. Was, it was on it. I mean, it felt right. I definitely felt like I was like, oh, I just fucked my life up because uh, I knew it was some, I mean, it was like doing heroin. Right. For the, like, I know like, people say that about everything, but it really was. I mean. And then did you have that bombing moment shortly after that where you have that initial open mic, it goes really good, and then you wind up getting a little too cocky and then bombing at some point? Yeah. So I was doing really well because I had ideas and I kind of knew what to do. Like I said, I did improv. And I like to think I'm pretty self-aware of, especially of a room and what they think. And then through that open mic and then a couple ones after that, I didn't bomb until I went to downtown Houston. And then I did an open mic at like 1.45 in the morning. And I did the same material, like two or three of the eight jokes I did in the five minutes went great. And then the couple of them bombed and I had to reevaluate. And you're like, because you always... Comics are very hard on themselves even before they know they have to be. Right. So you're like, okay, even if there was two people in a room and they were passed out drunk, it's my job to wake them up and make them laugh. So I had to like, that's how I had, that's the moment I started to learn that. I was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who what the room's like. If it's 1.30 in the morning, like you have to rise to the occasion and be someone who's funny at 1.30 in the morning in a dead room. And that's like how you get better. Those three, uh, the two hyenas videos, you mm -hmm. know, they're some of your older uh, stand up clips. They're about five minutes each. Mm -hmm. But all three of those sets, it's very different rooms. You know, there's one where they are there to laugh and they're having a great time. Yeah. There's one where they're just like salty and bitter and they're, you know, right. the lady's like calling out your, your punchlines and you're getting heckled. Yeah. And it's so fascinating <laughs> to see the same material work in those three different uh, environments, you know? Right, it's the way they respond to them. Like, uh, if you can make something work at an open mic, the chances of it going well at a comedy club on a fr Thursday, Friday, Saturday night means it's probably going to get a really good pop. Right. Which is, it's nuts to me. That's one thing you always, I mean, you see some comics do it for three years and never get any opportunities, or four years and never get any club opportunities, and you're like, man, you just, you want to see them put in that club setting once because you know they're not getting the crowd that they deserve. Right. They're little, maybe they're a little a bit of an absurdist, you know? For sure. Like, imagine if you didn't know William and he right. came into an open mic. Oh, yeah. And then tried new bits. He'd yeah. be like, what is going on right now? And until you came to grips with, like, that this was a, like, this was the whole point like, yeah. of what was going on right now. And that you need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you, <laughs> who you the would, fuck said that? Who the fuck said that? Yeah. The, once you, that would be funny then. 
But if you were just a Karen and you didn't know what a sense of humor was, you would be losing your mind. Bro, even the Kill Tony fanatics who, I yeah. mean, everybody in that room is a WFM fan. <laughs> right. When he starts doing those, man, I got my guns in my truck. I just want to start blasting. Like you can feel the tension. It's palpable. Right. Like Some it's, people, all the wives of the fans that come that don't watch the show with their right. husbands are like, what is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and the guy, husbands are always just losing their shit because they're like huge William Montgomery fans, dude. But even, you know, even everybody there is a KT fan. Everybody's there knows William. And right. it's still like, whoa, you know, right. like, it's pretty crazy. I love that I get to watch him do that a lot yeah. <laughs> because it's almost like it, it. it's better the more I get to hear him say that he has guns in his right. trunk. Because it's like, I'm almost starting to believe him. Like, I'm almost working now. And I'm like, does he have guns in his trunk? And I like, like I said, I see it so much now. I'm actually like, I think he might. It's very uh, convincing. It's believable. Like, right. We know you're joking, but it, right. it could easily be, you know, dead serious. <laughs> At least it feels that way. But that's yeah. the magic of the delivery. And right. That. right. But I mean, you know, Kill Tony's a lot of pressure, you know, for stand up. I mean, it's a yeah. big platform. And uh, you are famous for being on episode 500. Right. At the Paramount. We're talking Joe Rogan, episode 500. You got Kaylee half naked, cleaning mics. Literally right before, yeah, Tony's cancellation, everything. Yeah. And yeah. They, I mean, that's, it's not your average Kill Tony show. This no, is yeah. a pressure packed moment. And you go up and you destroy. At the Paramount. Yeah. That's uh, one thing. So they, like the pig pen now, we keep everyone behind those pig pens in the corner. Right. Uh, it was, we were kept in an alleyway that time. So we didn't understand, none of us were, we didn't even hear the show. We couldn't hear the show going on. They would come out and say, so-and-so was just picked. Are they here? No. Okay. But we didn't, uh, from outside, you couldn't understand the, especially if you've never done a stage like right. the paramount before you don't understand what that's luckily i was an orchestra and stuff growing up so i'd done halls like that yeah and knew what it like to stand on a stage but it was still with even that like knowledge and that like the feeling of i guess you could say nostalgia i was just like this is it was i mean that's the biggest room i've ever done in comedy oh yeah is the paramount that's which a, is huge it's a huge moment walking and... onto the stage felt like and then you i walked by joe rogan right and i it was the day i moved to austin I mean, I literally, my, my car got a flat tire. That's as famously re recounted right. in your interview, <laughs> right. which also went phenomenally well. That was, yeah, that's, uh, which is crazy. And you wound you, up with the Ridge wallet. I did with like 500 bucks in it, which yeah. luckily covered all the tow fees and tire cost, which was amazing because that was gonna, that ruined me. I feel like Joe Exotic. Yeah. I'll never financially recover from that. <laughs> I was like, I'm done here, dude. Dude, halfway, I mean, halfway through your set, you can hear Joe talking to Tony, and he's like, this is the best show of all time. Right. And then, you know, after that, he's like, hey, man, you're really fucking funny, you know? Yeah. And, I uh, wish he would recognize me now. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was, so, he, got, he got a little tipsy on that episode, but it's, yeah. This is, uh, like, you know, your Hans Kim episode, it's like one of the lowest view totals, right? Right, yeah. And it's like, what, the, you know, you, like, you hear you're exposed on this gigantic platform, it, right after that is when you start with Philip Garcia episode one mm -hmm. you know just starting from scratch just building 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 mm -hmm. and, you, and now you've been grinding at it i mean that was nine months ago it feels like nine years ago right and it's uh you know it's um 
there's just no breaks for anyone, you know? Like, no, there's not. It's, it doesn't matter. Like Hans Kim still in a van, you know? I mean, it, right. it's incredible. Like even when you have that much exposure, it's still just, you have to do it yourself. Yeah. I mean, like they, one of the biggest inspirations for me is like, uh, I found this out this year actually was that Gabriel Iglesias, his entire career has collected emails. Right. I mean, when he was touring the whole country, when he was doing like five person rooms, I mean, he would kill those five person rooms. And then he would be like, give me your five emails. Yeah. So when I come back, you're here. But then the next time he comes back, he gets, you know, another five or 10. And the next thing you know, in five years through touring to the same cities, 300 people are showing up saying, you got to see this guy. He's phenomenal. And right. now he's doing Toyota centers and stuff. But it's all because he had the wherewithal to be like, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. You get I mean, yeah. the, the, the days where, you know, you're looking to get repped and move to Hollywood and, uh, you know, do it that way. I mean, they're just right. dead and gone. And it is now just independent content, you know, grinding out a fan yeah. base. It's hard to do, you know, yeah, from scratch. Even fucking corporate entities are, they don't even make their own commercials anymore. They right. put out competitions so that other people do the work for free form. And then they say, if viewers get selected, yeah. we'll pay you and you win, which is neat, but also like. It's a, it's like taking real estate agents out of the home buying process and for, uh, for, you know, entertainers in a way it's like, ah, oh, we used to, I guess now I have to produce, edit, create and act all on something. If I want to do it as compared to previously, you probably just got like some type of commercial acting agent. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, or just getting hooked up with an agency that is going to, you know, take Work care of you. you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the bad agent thing is not a cliche. No, it's so true, dude. It's, it's, it's. It's not even, it's a stereotype that's factual. I know so many comics at my level and like slightly above me and well above me that have agents that they just like, they do nothing for them. And that they, everything they do do, they collect 10% of. So have you, are you familiar with this book? Is this the one, I think I've read the beginning to this. Uh, it's a fictional one though, right? Yes. It's the one where he, he like, his family and stuff or he's, I forget what it is, but he, it's a comedy is a revolution for him basically um it's you know highly regarded in the stand-up i just got done reading it i thought it was excellent um it's very descriptive it's fiction but you know it's a like a have to read it man a road comic i highly recommend it but you know he has a manager that stopped caring about him and you know he was a huge success early and then he got a bunch of you know he had an hbo special you know fictionally right and uh, when the when he was on top, his manager was great. Everybody loved him. He was making money. And then you know he's kind of a road, <clears throat> you know, rough rough road. A road act. dog. It's basically yeah. a week in the life of a road comic, and he's just drinking and doing blow the whole time, and uh, just really getting in fights, you know. But also, you know, he. Uh, I think I know the guy this book's about. Yeah, he's trying. To, <laughs> He's he's like committed to dumping his manager and right. starting over, and he just can't pull the trigger. And uh, anyway, it's, I couldn't imagine how good it is, dude. It's pretty damn good, you know. It's very descriptive, it, you know. I couldn't put it down. It was, you know, fascinating, and it's supposedly, you know, a really accurate depiction. You know, it starts on Sunday, and he's he's going from like Amarillo up to uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, playing right. all these little podunk. Yeah, I punches. might know exactly who this story is about. <laughs> well, I know it's fictional, but it's like I could I I know the story. <laughs> there's <pretty> it's sure. <laughs> it's it's fictional, but there's also real world things. Like right. um he has he's good friends with Norm McDonald. Mm -hmm. And Sam Talent is the guy that wrote this book. He writes Norm like unbelievably well like you can just hear Norm saying that kind of stuff, right. you know. I mean, I don't want to read any excerpts and bore 
right. the hell out of people. But uh, I've heard the craziest story. Man, I, there's just one. I have a buddy. I won't like name drop or anything, but he's got a. He got drugged one time. Him and the guy he was on the road with got drugged by they believe firefighters because they made fun of him during their show. And there was only like 15 people there, and then afterwards, one of them was standing around, and then after that. They just woke up the next day without any remembrance of anything like an alleyway with their keys missing. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, there's That's a very similar scene to something in this book. He, um, you know, He's out trying to score cocaine after a show, and he winds up at a bar, and he's, uh, they kick him out. So he's now he's on the streets of Denver in the ghetto, and he, <laughs> he's sleeping on a bench. Some, and this guy comes up, and he's like, hey, man, you know, what are you looking for? And he's got crack. They start smoking crack in an alley. He gets hit by a brick, wakes up you know, naked in an alley the next day and uh, has to, you know, start the day all over again. Uh, what the hell? And, uh, yeah, I mean, stuff happens. Yeah. It's uh, it's easy not to romanticize that part of stand-up comedy. It's, uh, a, it's a little exaggerated, you know. This I, is... I wouldn't say so, though. I mean, I like at that level, that road dog lifestyle, like I said, those, a lot of, there's a lot of comedy that goes on and, bars and stuff like that and fort collins amarillo small texas towns where you I mean that stuff does happen though i mean it's not yeah. far from fiction it happens probably every day like I was, i've i have stories that aren't mine to tell but like i could just go on for hours about this i've heard piss being drank out of gatorade bottles because you forgot which you know like stupid shit like that where you're just yeah Dude, I mean, like, uh, even somebody that's incredibly successful, like Mark Norman, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, look at his tour coming out. He's like, Omaha, right. you know, Wichita, just... He did Brian last time he was here. Dude, the, I mean, when you, <laughs> he guy never stops working or drinking, and it's just like, how do you do both? I mean... It's just what this life is. Uh, it truly is. Like, you read Bukowski, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, I don't know. Right now, I'm getting into Vonnegut. Vonnegut? Vonne? Vonnegut. Vonnegut. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, my I got the um, slaughter slaughterhouse uh, whole. It's like a whole collection. I'm like trying to get into it right I now. I have not read that, but I, I am know. a Bukowski freak. Yeah, I man. love Bukowski. He's drinkers. Have you ever seen the movie Barfly? Mm -mm. I know uh, it's about him though, right? It was written by him, okay. and then uh, Mickey Rourke uh, played him. You know, I have um, to check it out. I watched a documentary on him. That's why I got hooked on him. Bukowski. Speaking of Casey Rocket, the whole postal thing he went over, <laughs> I thought of Bukowski. I I only know Casey because he was on your show. Yeah, and then I'm I'm like, oh, this guy's amazing. Oh, and then I start looking him up, and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's kind of a big deal. Like, you gotta watch Casey's comedy. Uh, I don't. If you're a comedy fan, he, I, if I'm on an open mic and Casey's on the list, I only said I'll watch his Casey's. Yeah. Other than mine, like because <laughs> I'm performing it. Not to be like pretentious, but just because more than likely that comic is going to be running a set I've heard of them do before. Right. But like Casey is just, I love watching that guy work. Yeah. And you know, his whole thing, like, oh, I wake up at one, I go to Taco Bell, you know, like <laughs> I know that kid. I was that kid. You right. Know? I mean, I'm old. I'm, I feel like I'm too old to be hanging out with you guys because <laughs> I'm in no, my forties. Not at all. Uh, Comedy is one, come one, come all, you know? Yeah. But how so. crazy, like, you know, here's this guy with this huge following. He's well-respected in the community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm on the, I'm always on the lookout for whoever's doing, you know, comedy around here. And I've, I've never heard of him or seen him until he was on your show. Right. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But it does. What's crazy is I didn't find out about Casey rocket until through you, like, cause YouTube too. Right. He just came into my recommended one day cause of, uh, I follow 
someone he did a comedy festival with. And then next thing you know, it was two years ago before the pandemic, I was a Casey rocket. Like I got to find this guy when he had like no views on his videos. Right. So this is another open micer that I just want to get like-minded with. And then now I'm in the same town as him. So when I saw him, I kind of had to knock to the curb a little bit of like star. What's it called? Starstruck. Starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got to get, I got to shed that. I don't know why. Cause I just like his comedy so much. Yeah. It's hard for me to not think of him as like this weird little riff God. Yeah. But he's just, <laughs> you know, like your average buddy kid. Right. Know, that's just, this, you that's know, the thing. hanging he's out. Just, he's just a normal guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, you got to get him over to the house and, uh, yeah. whoever, um, do you remember I was for a while there you were living with a guy named Bilal yeah Bilal's, still, yeah I work with Bilal now okay cool yeah. um I I saw him on Kill Tony too he did a 9-11 joke which is I'm always on the lookout for any of these really degree of difficulty you know right. anybody makes a 9-11 joke school shooting you know just not the easy grinder stuff you know like, yeah. like trying to have a degree of difficulty to it he really impressed me with that and uh, the second time he was on I don't know I mean I caught it I don't know if he did but uh, as he's walking to the stage, Tony's like, oh, yeah, this guy's a murderer to the mm -hmm. guest. And, uh, you know, and then uh, you guys start podcasting together, you know, at the yeah. house. And yeah, he's a good roommate. We lived in a living room together for eight months with no walls or doors or anything. So, yeah, I mean, he's it was me, him and Justin Essenmacher splitting a one bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> so and those were the early days of with Philip Garcia show. Right. You know, some really good, really good podcasts. I like them, too. I miss the chaotic energy of the household uh, a lot, but it, it's a. Uh, it's also fun to do without sometimes. Uh, I do miss them like a lot all the time. Like Bilal is great. Bilal is a guy who believes in brevity above all else yeah. in terms of comedy. So, I mean, yeah, living with those two guys. Also, we were all three completely different people. Like uh, I'm a pretty cut and shoot stand-up comic. You can identify my stand-up or my, my punch, my setup, my punchline, my tag. Yeah. Bilal is a more of a one stanza uh, Jessel Nick type, you know, deadpanner right. with act outs here and there. And then Justin Essenmacher is just a, like, uh, a shit show on fire. Mm. Like he literally, he just pisses people off. He has jokes that are just crazy. He's like a, a, a the devil crowd worker. Mm. So we all, why is this still me? Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, that, those, that, that dynamic of us three was always entertaining. Right. We wanted to do cameras rolling in that house all the time because I would, me and Justin would get in fights, not physically. And then you just have like Bilal with comedic breaking or really what it was, was it was, we were all competing to make Bilal laugh because right. he's such a quiet person. He is. And so he's, to get a laugh out of him is like a, a victory point <laughs> in this I, weird way. It seems like he's kind of tall too. He is. So he's like this just imposing he's six know, figure. He's too. I owe him my life. He got jumped recently for my car. Really? On 6th, yeah. What happened? Uh, we were getting off work at like 3 a.m. And we walked back to my car. I called. I always call him because I'd moved out recently. But I always still call him if I can to see if he needs to ride home. Because like, I, I love the wall. If he's, he might live with me again at this house I'm living at now. But uh, I call him. He's like, yeah, I'm grabbing food. I'm like, okay, sweet. Me at my food truck. I'll take you home. And when we get to my car, there's like a bunch of dudes leaning on it. And then I was like, hey, get off my car. And then Bilal's quiet, but when he yells, it's the most terrifying thing in the world. Mm. He was like, get the fuck out the car. And these guys were like, hey, who you talking to like that, bro? It's not worth losing your life over, all this shit. Well, like Bilal gets in their face, and I'm like, bro, just go home. They're like, come get your boy. I grab Bilal, put him in the car. And then the guy like stands in the doorway right before Bilal closes it. And he's like, who the fuck you think you are talking to like that? And then Bilal was just like, 
through his ass. <laughs> and nice. then gets out of the car and then proceeded to get jumped by six people. Holy shit. Everyone's like, where were you? I was like, I was in the car. <laughs> Seatbelt just put on. I was like, by the time I got around the car, six people had done him in. Like in five, it was, yeah. They wow. all got one good punch on him. And then one guy hit him with keys between his knuckles. And he split his eye pretty good right here. Fuck, dude. Is he all right? I mean, yeah, he's uh, totally fine. Uh, he was laughing about it while it was happening. Dude's a maniac. That's crazy. <laughs> I've lived with the frame. I just, yeah. everyone's like, I think Bilal hates me. I'm like, no, he's just Bilal. He's quiet. Yeah. Funny motherfucker. Very funny. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. You know, I, uh, I didn't get, we're doing this pretty early today. I didn't yeah. get a ton of sleep last night. I don't know what side of town you're on. I'm on the, I'm staying on the east side right now. I'm on east side too. Did you hear the gunshots at like two in the morning last night? No. Dude, I was I, still at work at two in the morning. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I, or no, I was at a latchkey at two in the morning. So it sounded like it was coming from the 35 somewhere around there, but it, it was like probably wow. 14 gunshots. And at first it was just a, a steady, just bang, bang, bang for about 10 shots. And then it was just popcorn. just And then dead quiet. I can't believe that shit, man. And then I really can't. The scariest thing is I'm listening for sirens. There's nothing like after that. I'm like, it's like, you know, fucking pandemic of gunshots out here. I mean, it's crazy. It's just crazy to me. I don't I don't know much about Austin, but I know about like Houston and Dallas Fort Worth and it's just like in t I don't remember it ever being like that anywhere in Texas other than like some really tough parts of Houston or maybe some like southeast Dallas. Yeah. But even then not as consistent as I thought it would be here. Uh I don't know if it's because it's just not public. But I don't the like, Austin is it's just nuts what some people get like working there on six man the yeah. shit that people get away with and the shit that they don't catch right i mean they don't catch those shootings people ever have you ever seen i mean if they caught a shooting a shooter it would be huge news but they've never caught one not once it, it seems to be always at two in the morning there's some type of right. raging gun battle between and they say two... there's cameras everywhere now but right. they, why haven't they caught anybody yet it's, it's ridiculous. It's just off 6th Street a right. lot of times, too. But It's uh, always in the alleyway that I do trash bags in. Oh, yeah. Have Most fun. of the times we're doing trash bags, and if you hear it, like you just go the fucking side. Like, it's not worth losing your life over right. to make whatever we make doing trash bags at the end of the evening, you know? It's it's great. It pisses me off like to no, like, to no end, to know that it's just unsafe. Supposedly, they had some safe 6th Street initiative. They were trying to, and that's where the cameras came in, and right. they were trying to light better. Right, and, and then um, Vulcan had live active shooter training and all that shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, and, you know, apparently all the business owners are rather fed up with the violence and the, you know, with the you, stuff down You know how many people are packing on 6th now that are just like, the other day, like a, a bachelorette party of like, sorry, <clears throat> like six girls all in like those little cowboy, pink cowboy hats, yeah. all packing. And uh, we didn't know until I, I'm not going to mention that, but we just they didn't come into Vulcan, put it that way, and they were all packing, right? Because they all they had heard that they that all Sixth Street was dangerous, and I was like, you don't need all six of you don't need and the six Barbie dolls don't need guns when they're drunk. Yeah, it would have been bad if any of them had been in charge. They were hammered too. I was like, y'all don't need firearms right now, right? I mean, the the whole thing about concealed carry is, you know, if you're drinking, your right. gun is not with you. But it's just crazy <laughs> that people feel that nece that's necessary at all. Yeah. I mean, shit, I feel it's necessary at some point. Like I said, I, I feel pretty unsafe there after 2 a.m. It's It seems to be, like, I don't know, I was just reading the recent ones. Like, mm -hmm. two people got shot at the lodge not that long ago, right. apparently. But it just seems to be this prevalent theme of last call, 2 a.m., look out for bullets, you know? I don't know what that's about either. Yeah. I, don't, I know it's because, like, 
there's always a fight in the back alleyway. The cat um, fights are crazy. I mean, there's crazy, so many. Yeah. There's like channels dedicated to Dirty Six mm-hmm. Street Brawls. My Instagram yeah. story is becoming one because <laughs> I'm on because I'm there every night. Yeah, I'll videotape the the course. This is what we do. We sit outside. We wait for the. We pray to God that the horse shits right in front of Vulcan, right? So that we can watch drunk people walk through it all night. Oh, dude! I mean, that's it's like candy. No joke. <laughs> I was dude. I was watching somebody do a video uh, a couple like a couple days ago. They were on six in the daytime, mm-hmm. and they're filming a shot, and the, this uh, like homeless lady walks by the camera, right in the center of the shot, drops trow, dumps right oh. into <laughs> yeah. the street. Yeah. Pulls up her pants, keeps on walking. I know which one you're talking about. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah. It's pretty viral. I don't know. I've watched a lady use a tree to get herself off, the bark of a tree, yeah. to get herself off. And then she laid on her back and then proceeded to piss with her legs up in the air in an arch fashion forward. Yeah. And, you know, I was expecting a much worse. I, apparently, there's been a lot of homeless initiatives going on. Uh, yeah. They've spent almost $200 million here in the last couple of years on, yeah. you know, homeless prevention. And, right. I, you know, I was fully, you know, I, I do. I spent a lot of time in Portland. The homeless situation there is out of control. Even it's just here, I'd imagine. Every underpass is a tent city. There's just garbage. They're constantly sitting on fire, you know. Is I mean, there shootings like there has been here, though, or like gun violence like there has been? Dude. I mean, they ran a story on it. Homicides are up like 800%. In Portland? Yeah, in Portland. So I guess it makes sense that it's homeless on homeless violence. I'm not so sure. I mean, like here, I mean, I may be way off on this. This is pure speculation. But it it seems like there's these bands of uh, gang, like drug dealers. Well, no, they they own the homeless people. Right. They run them as like ports for income. Yes. And then if they, yeah, that's, it's crazy. And it's like a racket. Like you want to sleep here, you got to pay. But also, you know, you, you got all these hipsters and people moving here, you know, and the, the, there's somebody supplying the drugs. So it, it feels like a lot of these raging gun battles are just like warring drug clans Basically, you know, going at it. Because it's always a gangs. gun battle. It's yeah. not like, you know, it's like always two sides shooting at each other. But Right. Welcome to the 525 Records podcast where we bum you the fuck out. <laughs> I'm not bummed out at all. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it is just nuts. But as a, as a report in for somebody that's out of town, the homeless situation has, it's almost not even noticeable compared to what it was. <laughs> How long have you been here? Uh, I don't know, a couple days. Yeah. But where, where it used to be. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, ACL came, Austin City Limits happened, yeah. and they cleared all of them out that night. Ah, the night before. Okay. So under 35, that overpass right there off 6th used to be complete, like every parking lot, every parking space right. was a tent It block. was a tent city. Yeah, there's probably like 300 tents underneath there. Yeah. Now, nothing. But there was 300 one night, and then the day before ACL started, that Friday, they were all gone. It's crazy. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you, I was like, you, you, before I got here, I'm like, man, I don't want to stay on the east side. I have to walk. Like, you couldn't pay me to walk across the 35. No, <laughs> now you can. You can scooter relatively easily. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently, I don't know. That's t- my buddy that lives. He's been here like 20 years. I was out with him last night, and he was. He, we were talking about. I was like, I heard they bought a. They, apparently, they spent the city spent five million dollars on this Candlewood Suites in North Austin, mm-hmm. and it's going to be like homeless. Shelter. Yeah, homeless shelter. I hope so. I mean, I mean, I hope that'll fix it. It's a, it's all a mental health crisis. And until that, our government understands that people with an extreme mental health disorder can't make their own decisions, they will continue to be homeless people. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, these medication denial is huge. Drug addiction is self medication. It's just this massive slippery slope. My mom works in social work. I've seen it my entire life. The solution is to take away people's rights that don't that can't utilize them. Hmm. It's just that. 
that's a, if there's a platform I'll stand on, it's that. And I'm a huge mental, like I, I think mental health is a massive crisis, but I think that the solution is very stark and it's real. Like you, you, you can't allow people who don't know what's real to make their own decisions. Right. They need helps. And then once they, if they get to a better place, I mean, yeah, but there needs to be programs where we vet these people out. Like, okay, you're on, you know, but check in, are you taking medication? You need to be administered medication. They, they, <laughs> they have to take the medication. It's so crazy sometimes. It is. It's such a mix. You know, everybody mm -hmm. wants to have a blanket solution. You know, right. like all homeless people are the same. But it's such no. a mix of people that just want to be on the street for whatever reason. You that, know, that's, that's a thing too. Yeah, yeah. So there are some people who are just complete like sovereign citizens and don't. And that's that's really popular in Austin. There yeah. are some guys who just really enjoy not having a home for sure, and they just think that. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's a lot of people on drugs. There's a lot of people yeah. that, you know, we're one paycheck away, like all of us. Right. And then before you know it, you're sleeping in your car and it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, there's like in California, dude, there's half the population, they work, you know, they have a car, they have a cell phone, they go to a job and right. they're sleeping in their car or they're sleeping outside or whatever. Yeah. Because you, you just can't afford to live anywhere, you know? But no, like I'm the, really blessed in my situation right now that I'm not, like, it's not too official. So I, the rent is really low. <laughs> but, I mean, anywhere else you're paying $1,100 a month for a one-bedroom. Can you dish some inside baseball on Vulcan and kill Tony? Like, what do they pay you down there? Just ballpark. I mean, is it... Uh, oh, so know? I'll just say, like, an average door guy on six makes anywhere from, like, I think it's, like, 10 to $15 an hour. Mm. And there's usually, like, a percentage tip out. So I won't get too specific just because I don't, I don't know how much they want me to say. Right. But it's about that area. So you know you probably make like $100 to $150 a shift. Um, and it, does that depend on the show? Yeah. Like so did you work Rogan last night? Or? Yeah. Okay. So your tip out for a Rogan show is going to be way better than it is for, you know, because he sells 300 tickets every time. Right. Compared to someone who sold 150 tickets. Well, I was going to ask you, what is the capacity of that place? It's hard 300 to, okay. tickets was... sold total. But we can fit. I think there's, I don't know the fire code level, but I know. It could probably fit 400 folks standing all. Mm. So they used to run EDM shows there when they'd have like 300 people, 400 people in there, I swear. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> before the pandemic, a lot of hip hop shows. Yeah. Too. But are you on the secret show? Not anymore. No, I'm not. Okay. I haven't been on in a minute. I need to message Redman about it. It's been a while. Uh, Squeaky Will gets the grease. So mom always says, but I, I was thinking about get, uh, going. I'm just looking. There's still like nine tables. Like I don't think it's supposed to get cold tomorrow. Yeah, snow or whatever. I I think there's gonna be nobody there tomorrow night. So. I've always my my mind comedy's dead season has always been the week before Christmas to yeah. Valentine's Day. It's just when people are either recouping from Christmas or then refocusing towards Valentine's Day. So and then weather wise too. Right. Comedy does best when it's 72 and sunny. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, and not too hot, not too cold. People like it when they can go out and have a nice round of drinks before the show. And then when they leave, they can have another round of drinks. Absolutely. Like right now, it's 19 degrees is what they're saying is going to be when you I, get out of the show tonight. The forecast has changed. Um, right. I've got aviation weather subscription. So um, yes. it, two days ago, it was pretty dire. Now, it's not going to be as bad as it was like Good deal. billed to be. So. Yeah. Talking about Casey again. The kid, the kid is the kid is the next Elvis Presley in my head, dude. So he's, <laughs> you guys are into occult stuff. I love it all, dude. I really, I, I've lived a, I've lived a, I'm like half Hispanic, <laughs> so there's a little bit of like a little, little Santeria, Yerona and stuff like all that shit. Are Being you scared by ghosts as a kid to learn lessons? 
Are you are you into like symbology, Manly P. Hall, any of that yeah, stuff? I, I, anything, honestly, man. I don't think like I like to say the world is not black and white. There's definitely. Like, I did DMT once. Okay, like, <laughs> I get it. I really do. I don't think that anything is real. The moon landing wasn't real, apparently. What about, okay, let's run down the conspiracy list. <laughs> Kennedy assassination. Uh, inside job by the CIA. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 9-11. 9-11 was an inside job to, I mean, promote a war economy, basically. Yeah. And the, the coup de gras, flat earth. Flat earth is not. I, the flat earth isn't real. I just don't think we've ever been to the moon. Right. I think the ori original moon stuff was uh, fake, and I'm really on it this week because... I'm two degrees of separation away right now from Elon Musk. That's really, I've never thought about it like that, but I am. Well, technically in some aspects, one degree, because I know, <laughs> but it's just crazy. I'll just say that the moon landing was not real, apparently. <laughs> Isn't I'm, that crazy to think about and know that you know someone who knows something? Like you're like, I, if, that, if that guy said it and I was told that maybe the moon landing wasn't, if it, that's just scary to think about, man. Well, I'm going to be killed for this podcast now. No, dude, that's <laughs> the thing about the moon landing. Uh, they had you have three guys in a, a capsule the size of a VW Bug, right? For over with a week, less than Game Boy technology, with no bathroom, right? So the, the official story: they had what were called fecal contain containment bags. Uh -huh. So all three of those dudes for a week <laughs> trapped. I just had the stupidest laugh. Sorry. Well, uh, you, you got to pull down your spacesuit. Yeah, it's a Ziploc Velcro Ziploc bag. Oh my! You've got to in zero G poop eating seal it and then keep it in the capsule i mean no way it, 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 come on no way come on plus you know i mean the, the special effects were pretty groundbreaking at the time but right. when you watch a lot of that apollo footage back today mm -hmm. it is just so it looks like little models like you would see in right. a movie in the 60s right and it, it looks like i mean they you, you see the pictures of the wires being pulled you see the picture like the wind on the flag the shadows that are off angle that look like studio like shadows naturally don't point towards each other especially if it's from a fixed like one fixed light so it's it's weird. There's, the whole thing is weird. There's an Italian documentary. I mm -hmm. think the guy's name is Massimo, mm -hmm. but um, he interviews all these famous photographers that are primarily in the fashion world, and he's got this portfolio of Apollo pictures. And they're just going down the list. Like this is this can't be real. This defies photography. Right. This you know. And then you know you think of um, I don't know the the Hasselblads. Right? Mm -hmm. They weren't special. They're just it, it's a Hasselblad that's chest mounted. Any, right. Anybody that knows photography, when you get to extreme temperature cameras don't behave well no and here you are you know it's minus 200 to plus 200 depending on whether you're in the sun yeah, i never not. even thought about that you would not be able to even snap a photo with something that was like had a mirror in it or anything like that I imagine well that's the that's the thing too because picture yourself in a spacesuit with a helmet yeah and you have a chest mounted camera like just put on a put on a jacket yeah strap a polaroid to your chest and there's no digital footage yet and you, you, you can't focus you can't and they uh, broadcasted it that well, the phone call with Nixon, that's yeah. with no delay, you know. But just try to take <laughs> I didn't every, even think about that. <laughs> every one of those pictures just, yeah. is perfectly composed, right? Perfectly in focus, you know. Plus, well, it's a Kubrick film, <laughs> it's like a Wes Anderson, it's basically perfectly balanced, right? Like, it's yeah, uh, it makes sense that we faked it, 
right i mean it's like i mean it's like if we went today and we 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 took a photo shoot in ukraine of us then like eating hot dogs and french fries and we were like we were here first you know what i mean sorry russia find a new place to invade it's like the same weird aspect i guess like russia is the enemy it always has been and it makes complete sense that we were like we gotta we gotta win this dick this dick length contest real quick yeah and it's 60 years later nobody's been back i mean you've got robots right. and probes and you know they'll, they'll have fantastic looking footage like when the chinese sent mm -hmm. their probe you know came back but you know uh, in all reality the chances are slim you know there's uh, there's a, a boon in military spending mm -hmm. you would think you know with the fleecing of the defense department you know every year we give we, they get a trillion dollars like if people knew how much money the government has lost through dod oh it's yeah. trillions of dollars I have, all I have on defense spending veteran friends who are like you don't understand that there's like 25 million dollars worth of humvees gasoline and our ammunition sitting in a desert right now rusting because it's not being used right and you paid for it yeah and your so, entire life worth will not pay for what that's being like decayed by sand right now yeah, and in the 80s, Star Wars was hot. What you should have had, number one, is uh, spectacular photography, which right. there seems to be a clear lack of. Uh, but also, you know, this military spending in space. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, unaccountable. Everybody, everybody's for it. It's not like going to war. Everybody wants space exploration. You know, like the military ex experimented with uh, invisibility. You ever hear about that experiment? They made like the whole... Uh, battleship disappear on lake erie or something like that that's the philadelphia that, yeah. that you know i'm talking about but and they, then like people came back and they said they were like warped into the ship and stuff like that yeah um you know that's that's an interesting that story. is a, that's a really interesting one but you know they have cloaking devices that uh, refract light in right. a way where you just wrap this thing around you and you just are like a chameleon mm -hmm. and there's also something called uh, i think it's wanta black it's the darkest black that exists i've seen that and if you're in a suit like that at night, you are just, you're not even You're a basically shadow. moving black. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're in it. It makes everything look flat when you look at it, right? Because yeah. it, it captures all light on corners and everything. Yeah. I think I've seen that. I see on YouTube, they show like a video of like a, a cube of it and it just looks flat from all angles because it's so dark. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. I, I love a good conspiracy. Uh, I'm also of the mindset like you you can't <laughs> I know like it's like a you can't go too deep. I know some people who have like thrown away lives because of it. You're like I don't know, man. QAnon was like a a health a mental health pandemic too. <laughs> I mean, for real. Yeah, it really like there was a Thanksgiving that my whole family didn't show up to because of like the 2016 elections. You're like, what the fuck is going on, dude? Now it's I don't. I'm, I'm the the conspiracy that the world ended in 2012. You heard that one? Oh yeah. I yeah. think I'm prescribed to that. <laughs> well, just reality itself is coming under question. You know, there there just seems to be this stalled right. 20 years ever since 9/11. I mean, you know, the thing is, you don't have to go full conspiracy to know that there's some shady shit that went down with 9/11. Like it doesn't. You don't right. have to get to flat Earth to make that make sense. You no. know, and it really is. It's troubling the the there's still people out there that are like trust the plan you know they're still right well, also like, still believing you like you believe it though like to an extent like you hate to say like yeah they're right though like you remember like kevin spacey in house of cards did the whole these people are so stupid they need to be governed they don't even know it, and the it was such a, right and it, it's, it's it is true 
I mean, you get human, like we have to be governed. Otherwise, if we had no idea how to be like, if, there were, if we weren't systematically raised, everyone would just be killed. Like you cut in front of me at the gas station because there's no, I, I agree with governing. I think that ultimately we're going to lose everything. I think it's inevitable. I don't think I have any control over it. I don't think they have any control over it. Like it's that don't look up thing. Like everyone at the top is just as stupid as you think. Right. That's why it's all going out of control because no one's actually steering it. I just, I don't know how anybody can still believe in politics at right. this point. I no. mean, the, the magic trick is that, you know, as, as you get older, you get, you start to see, oh, I'm not going to fuck voting. If, right. they, if it really mattered, they wouldn't let you do it. You know, if it really mattered, we do it on our phones. Yeah. Yeah, if it was really, you know, you'd scan your ID on your phone. But you know, people—the older generation gets apathetic and leaves. But they're always targeting this younger demo, right? Speaking of which, I don't—I don't think we have any cross demo whatsoever. I think my average listener is, you know, uh, probably not into comedy that really? much. You know, much you, more music. You're mostly working in the music field or music industry, right? I yeah, pretty much. I put out records that um, are sort of like languishing uh you know somebody like does a record and then it just sits and never gets distroed or anything you know mm -hmm. i'll come along and scoop it up master it uh, upload it, it you know stuff that's like awesome that. but that's fascinating man because i didn't i would never take you for being into conspiracies you don't give that vibe at all you know do i look like a pothead uh maybe a little i don't know it's been it's getting more and more evident as i get older but i used to be just look i used to look like just a good old boy I used to have a mullet, like my driver's license picture. I have a mullet. I used yeah. to work on a, like a ranch occasionally with my buddies during the summer. I didn't like live that life. I like, grew up Christian as hell, Lutheran. Like I have Jesus tattoos on my body. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, like my, my parents split up, my dad's gay. So like I, all these super crazy Southern Christian ideals raised, implemented. And then after 12, very progressive, forward thinking, emotionally, like, mature family after that so it was definitely a unique shift in my life at a unique time i was about to like my balls were about to drop basically and i was like oh i guess i'm doing this second part of my life you know thinking with an open mindset now because i mean i had to you know what i mean like the whole dad thing he talked about that kill 25 like that that joke is real and it got to a point you know where you're like that was such a pivotal moment probably why i'm a comedian today you know like you learn I could, yeah, I guess I could be like mad or confused about this the rest of my life, you know, from behind a desk or do whatever, or I can take it and realize like, I think if you just got to laugh at this, cause it's fucking hilarious. Like you take away my personal involvement from the situation. It's truly the biggest predicament, like worst predicament I could imagine. It's just the funniest predicament I could imagine. Yeah. I mean, you could literal sitcoms written about this shit. Yeah. You couldn't write it if no, you tried. No, you couldn't. And I tell people that, and they're like, that's the real. I'm like, dude, that's real. I'm not lying to you. They still don't believe me at face value. I'm like, I, I promise you it's real. Like, I'm, it's the reason I tell jokes. Because I know, like, even the most serious things in life, just laugh at them. You the, got that's to. the most beautiful thing about comedy is mm -hmm. you know, there's a truth factor that if you don't have, then it's you might as well give up because it's never going to work. And I, challenging your beliefs is right. incredibly hard to do. You know, I mean, for a lot of years, you know, I'd never question any of this stuff. And then, you know, one day it's like one little thing where you go, hmm, and then it just starts you down the road of, well, maybe if that's true, what else is, exactly. what else are they doing? And it's like self-liberating in a way when you make those really, really true statements to yourself and your own story, like you're saying, like it's just, you got, when you're true with yourself like that, and then you, like it, it, you get more closer to who you are 
And then after, because of that, you get this, like you're saying, perpetuating truth coming in. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. The whole dad thing is great. He saw that episode, Kill Tony 500. Yeah. He saw that happen. And uh, I didn't know how he was going to react to me airing that. And he, he messaged me eventually, text me. He's like, hey, just watched Kill Tony 500. And so did all my friends and coworkers. We should play that clip right now. We should. They were like, they, he's like, I want you to know I thought it was really funny. And then the last time I saw him, he came to see me at a show in Dallas. Uh, he was like, it, the set was like a six out of 10. I didn't like how it went very well. He's like, you should have opened with the gay dad bit. And I never do it when he's there because I don't want to. Right. But he, the fact that he told me, he's like, you should have done the gay dad bit. I was like. All right, bro. Like, I'll, I'll fire your ass up in front of a crowd. <laughs> On the biggest stage, in the biggest pressure-packed moment. Yeah. Kill Tony 500 at the Paramount Theater, Joe Rogan. This was Philip Garcia's opener. Here we go. <laughs> I see phones. I see you lying. I see a lot of your phones out. Drunk on Ivermectin. Put your fucking phones away. Ladies and gentlemen, your Terrible next comedian people. goes by the name of Philip Garcia. Fuck yeah. Philip Garcia. I love Philip. You know Philip. We know Philip. He's been here before. <laughs> hey. Ba, ba, ba. Oh yeah, this is a monster, everybody. Make some noise for Philip Garcia. Let's get a little clap going, everybody, just like. Hey everybody, and I'm here to say that my name's Philip, and I'm not gay, but my dad is. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad's gay. He's actually, he's fucking my friend from high school. <laughs> my weed dealer from high school, right? My wife's a Pornhub title at this point. forgot about that tag. And I, I still can't get a good deal on weed either. What the fuck is that about? I don't know how to tell my dad that he needs to suck better dick. That's a... <laughs> Used to call him Papa Bear, not so much anymore. You know, it's a... I forgot that tag too. I should have known when we were kids, we'd go on bicycle rides, he'd take his seat off, and that's going to be the... Uh... Thank you, I'm Philip Garcia. I mean, talk about brave. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you've got material that you know will kill. And I mean, you get, yeah. and the, like uh, when you you start doing that, like, come on, everybody, let's get a yeah. clap going. You've seen <laughs> other comics do that, and you it's never it never goes, goes that well. Yeah. When I first did, the thing was the way that start came about for that joke was it was such a. I would go into the bit, and it would get a laugh just for me saying my dad's gay and he's dating my friend from high school and they'll be like what like i gotta find a way <laughs> to make this surprise like settling <laughs> and some, some another comic friend was like you should wrap it and i just do a little bit of hey everybody and then it was like yeah you're right and then i was like uh, get him on beat and then that happened and then i've never looked back since on the delivery of that bit because it's just the most it's the only way to present that information, especially on with a minute, like right. I had no prior 
material to that that's the only way to really jump in like that and without. you know you're talking about louis ck earlier and the cancel culture it's so right. fickle and it, everything is can take get taken out of context i mean exactly. they could easily rip you a new one and say oh philip right you know, i mean it's just uh, and you know i just man talk about courage yeah if, if you uh i don't know if you have your instagram pulled up uh i sent you that message of the yeah. audio of the interview afterwards I, I don't know if you've ever seen this reel before uh but after a couple of big names started giving me some nice little accolades i decided to clip it up and uh yeah you, you heard it <laughs> yeah. that was funny you're really funny you made uh, the three of us laugh out loud and uh Fuck yeah and that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. But you're really brave, too. And you got really good punchlines. <laughs> Your subjects are brave. Thanks, Joe. You're really, you're really brave. And you got really good punchlines. <laughs> How old are you? This is 24. fucking genius. <laughs> and you got really good punchlines. I didn't start doing stand up. I can I listen 29. to that all day. Right. Your subjects are brave. If I'm ever feeling down. So dude. your light years are where I was at uh, 24. I would encourage you to go with this full blast, man. You're really funny. And you got really good punchlines. <laughs> that was funny. You're yeah. really funny. It made uh, again. The three of us laugh. Laugh out loud, and uh, uh, yeah. and that's not the easy. It'll just keep looping that, forever. That's the greatest <laughs> super cut I've ever seen. That's amazing. I'm so glad you uh, showed that. I don't know uh, if that helped me or hurt me when I tagged him. <laughs> tagged him what do so you have hard. to lose? You know? Right. I don't. That didn't get any. They don't run their Instagrams. Maybe Joe does, but I know Ron White probably takes a selfie every once in a while. But I'd imagine. Yeah. But this is, you know, there are no breaks, man. Like, you, you no. succeeded. You were welcomed with open arms mm -hmm. into the Kiltony Mafia. Right. And, you know, like, in my mind, I'm like, this kid, I see him start a show. Dude, he's going to have all this exposure. It's He's funny as fuck. He's right. so likable. You know, he's born to host a show, radio, mm -hmm. podcast, something like that. You know, it's just super quick. And then, you know, for the last nine months watching you know the the pain of putting all this work into all this content you know and now it's finally i feel like there's been a big turning point and just in the right. last couple of weeks especially mm -hmm. on the heels of the casey right episode. new year's new me new year new me uh yeah it's it's like you said earlier it's like a like you said it's a full-time job and it uh it is if you're not physically working on it you're actively thinking about it like one of the craziest things to me is like yeah I try to bring a notepad into podcasts. It never goes well. I, I don't actually have any segments ever written down. I may have like a loose idea of what's going to happen when I go into an episode, but for the most part, it's just, uh, let me get to know this person naturally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I hate to say it, but like Joe, Joe has, Joe Rogan has laid a, the ground, the blueprint for what it's doing. He's like, just be yourself and try to be that person. And then, like the video he posted about the whole Neil Young thing recently. Oh, He's yeah. like, I'm not, I'm just a guy who has I, people I think are smart on my podcast. Yeah. And yeah. that perpetuate their ideas that I like. I, I got to tell you, man, it's been painful to watch all of my musical heroes just. What is going on? One by one. He said last night, he said that it's just a fucking, it's a, it's a, it's a game that they're playing, that they're trying to get market share, equi equity, like, cause Spotify is not a United States company. Amazon is. All these artists are just leaving to go to Amazon to take market share over there. And hope that it works um and it will because all the artists that are moving who's their demographic it's like 55 plus right for the most part neil young yeah the so, whole you know who's neil young spiking right. in google searches it's an audience <laughs> that will pay a dollar 39 a song to have it on their phone and think that that's still okay to do yeah like it used to be on itunes 
I mean, I every, every three months I call my mom and I run her bills down because I say, who, well, who's charging you for what? Because she's getting to an age, she's only 53, but right. charter spectrum, try to take advantage of her all the time. I'm like, you need, I'll just call and bitch her home insurance company for an hour and they'll, they'll knock the rate down a third just because they thought they could charge her because she's an elderly woman who doesn't argue with them. Yeah. This is ridiculous what companies try to get away with just a little bit at a time. So it's just fascinating to watch, you know, I mean, uh, uh, like, dude, if, anybody that listened to Rogan in the early years, you know, right. Fleshlight was the big sponsor. It was, you know, <laughs> like it was, it, it was never a serious thing. It, was, it was like, like five comics smoking pot. Yeah. And now you just, you know, I mean, if, for better or worse, right. you get all this attention and I would love to think that my podcast gets to a point where I have people on that have, you know, very, very important things to say. But I would also hope that when they come on, uh, it never becomes a platform for someone else's agenda. I hope it's always just something that someone, I met someone, and for me, it's a, it's a social tool. I mean, I use it to meet, like, I've gotten to meet you and get to know you. I mean, more so me, I've probably done a lot of talking. <laughs> it's something I always leave a podcast, I'm like... Comics are usually so self-aware. It's just like you leave a podcast. You're like, I don't think I talk. I think I talk too much. This has been the easiest <laughs> podcast I've ever had to do because I knew you were going to carry the whole thing. Listen, I am not photogenic, and this is a rare video episode for me. <laughs> I don't normally do video, so, right? But uh, you know, it yeah. looks great, dude. This this whole studio is awesome. Yeah, shout out Permanent Record. Gotcha. Do, you, do you always do it remote, or like if you're no? In the studio, I mean, I got it? all the same gear. I just don't want to have to fly with it, right? You know, and Ugh. set it up, mics, cables, that whole deal, cameras. When I first started my podcast, I thought it was so easy. I enjoyed setting up my podcast. It was just like you know, five or six wires plugged in. And now every time I do it, I just leave it set up. That's another reason I'm doing more right now. I don't have. I'm not living with three people in a one bedroom, so I'm able to just completely have my setup up the entire time. Yeah, so that helps a that, lot. It really does, because uh, like yesterday, my friend Brittany came over, and I was like, "You want to do a podcast?" I was like, "You're blowing my ear up, anyways, right now." Let's <laughs> well do a Is podcast. Ledesma? Yeah, Ledesma. She came on. She showed her toe. <laughs> she said, "I could show my whole foot right now and make you famous." I was like, "I don't think I want that." Dude, the, that's dope. Yeah, the. Uh... The oh, foot people. thing is crazy. Like, I don't know if you watch Annie Letterman at all, but, you know, she's got like... Yeah, she blurs her feet out. She right. also can't have her name on any comedy store list because she has like crazy stalkers, apparently. Right. Well, it's a real thing. It's funny as hell. People yeah. are disgusting, man. I know so many I know so many comics who like negate themselves stage time because they're, they don't want to put up with just like chauvinistic like things. You know how hard it is to be a stand-up, female stand-up comedian that looks better than a six- or a five or a four even, and then go to an open mic where people are delusional, most likely like manic, and then telling jokes about their penis on stage to a room that doesn't want to hear about it. Right. What do you think they're going to say to a woman in private? Yes. Yeah. It gets really, really strange. I feel really bad for a lot of female comics, but they stick together. I so. stayed at the Hotel Van Zandt two nights ago on the Kill Tony night, and the next morning I'm in the lobby killing time mm -hmm. in between Airbnbs, and uh, they had... 10 models mm -hmm. that they were getting scouted by this guy he's some agent or something and so he's videoing everyone and doing interviews and it was 10 of the most beautiful girls you've ever seen in your life yeah. you know but it, if any one of them tried to do stand-up and they were even remotely good it just it, there's some weird thing you know right. about really attractive people i think it goes both ways but mm -hmm. really difficult you know on the for females on it's that hard for things. hot people it'll be funny yeah, and you know, yeah. like uh, Kim Condon, she's 
a smoke show, hilarious, right? Uh, you know, Sarah Wine show. I mean, they're right. They're out there. You know, they exist. They do, but they. I mean, they they have that. They have like a Terminator mindset. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like fuck you, pay me. Like my roommate is a female comic, and she is she, I, so much respect for it because she's all about the business. Like she's like fuck you, pay me. Right. She's like I don't want to like. She's really good at that. <laughs> she and she like she's comfortable with herself and her body. You know, and she's like, uh, this is mine. Like, you know, if it's my brand, my personification, if it's going to be my own. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's very, very powerful in that way. Liz Splat is who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You may know her. She's hilarious. Yeah, she is funny as fuck. It is. It's so much harder. Mm-hmm. She, you got you to gotta really give it up. Uh, yeah. I have. I personally have a rule. I try not, I try not to. There's only ever been one occasion, but you, I never have any type of relationship with another comic. You just can't. It's, it's it, it, there's a lot of comics that are really drastically different offstage. Right. And, you know, I think what works on your show is you, it's, you're the same dude, you know, and right. you're just having honest, truthful conversations and it's entertaining and funny. Exactly. There's a lot of people that are just, it's just like a shift, you know, like right. whether they're inventing a character to perform on stage and then they get off and it's like a polarity f- right. you know, flip or something. It's like they're trying to be what they think radio was. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know. everybody. <laughs> It's, I'm back. The personalities yeah. <laughs> in comedy. I mean, it's just no. There's no end of you know nope. psychopaths to really good people. I mean, <laughs> the yeah. spectrum is wide. really good people too. Like you were saying, there's a lot of really crazy psychopaths. Man, I met some really really out there people. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what ma- that's the energy <laughs> you know of doing a live show like that. You just never know who the fuck you know. But like, I mean, give me some inside baseball and kill Tony because like. Sometimes you got to uh, say to yourself, the bucket has to be rigged tonight. Like, there's got to be a percentage of. I will say the bucket's never rigged. I mean, of course, there's probably like two or three people who are banned. Right. Their names can't go in the bucket, but that's because they did something either physically, they did something to. We don't. It, they never get. You're never kicked out. You did something because you threatened the safety of the show. You said something on, you know, right. and it's not like it's, I'm not talking about multiple people. I'm talking about like probably like one or two person. I don't even know who I'm talking about. It's just, I just know no, that they've done it before. And they keep signing up. Right. And they keep showing well, There up. was a guy for a while who was stalking the place and they thought for one minute there was a guy who like cut the power at the building because he was so jaded about it all. Yeah. So, um, I think that it's pretty equal opportunity. Uh, he does try to pull the female names out of the bucket. Uh, there's no telling how many times anyone's name has been thrown out for that because he, you know, he pulls them out. He doesn't leaves them out. Right. But other than that, it's a pretty, um, I mean, kill Tony is amazing for a Monday night. Uh, it's pretty, it's even, I mean, like he's like, he said, the bucket is completely even pool. And if you go up there, I know it's not rigged because there's been nights I'm like, oh, I wish it was rigged. Right. That's good to hear, man. You know, yeah. I mean, sometimes it just is so there's synchronicity is like you can't ignore it. And it's like, is this right. really even theoretically, statistically possible that it, this these all these things happened in a it apparently it's good to hear that. It, you it know, definitely some inside does. baseball that it is. Yeah, so. it's all it's all very, very genuine, man. I love that show. I love the people. People people have bad times on there, but that's because they don't know what a podcast or what it's like to be on a show right like you all you, you all whatever show you're on you pay your host respect you know you you let them whip and narrate the show uh, and then like some people get on there and they think they're going to tell tony how it's done right that's not that's literally the worst possible person you could tell like he he has a formula yeah to tear your ass apart oh that's it's proven vicious <laughs> yeah i love red band uh red band as a producer gains so much respect getting to watch him 
uh, up close because I'll watch him do his soundboard oh, and yeah. how quick he is. I mean, he's he's a phenomenal producer. And, and you know, now that you, responsible like, for all the podcasts, for sure. And you know, for when they were on, they were on the road for a while. You know, the mm-hmm. the audio would be different in every city. And you know, now right. they have, that they had the sort of a home base, mm-hmm. it's the sound system's getting dialed in. The audio is much cleaner. The levels are better. You know, right? Just everything all down the all down the line. Yeah, production, multi camera angles. So. Yeah. Philip Garcia, thank you no problem. for doing the Five Two Five Records podcast. What? Uh, we're, let's get some plugs, man. Do you want to plug anything? Uh, we got February nineteenth at uh, Tex- Central Texas Gunworks. I think it's at eight p.m. Doors at seven. It's a free show, so come on out. There's free beer. There's free pizza. And what is this garage show? Is uh, there- yeah, so I run a show in my mom's garage. I usually do it once a month. She has like a big hanger st- size garage in her backyard. I usually pack it out with like sixty people, and then we just. I grab some of my latest friends in comedy and I get them there and we do like eight, eight sets, eight minutes a piece and we all have a great time. And then we l- close it down and hotbox the garage afterwards. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. That one would be like at the end, probably March, end of March, last Saturday in March. So cool, man. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could check one of those out. That'd be awesome. I'll let you know. Philip Garcia, thank you for doing the Fetch anyway, Five Records podcast. Dude. I feel like I should shake your hand or something, but yeah, we're nah. podcasting. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Yeah, thanks right. for having me, Elliot. Yeah.